liked that video, didn't you? Did you like the video? Yeah, it was good. Well, there's plenty more where that's come from, so we're excited getting ready for that album launch on the 12th here at the 7 o'clock service. That's where we're going to do it, so uh, it's going to be fun. We've got some other surprises in store as well coming up. Well, if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to Mark chapter 4, we're going to have a look at the parable of all parables. You understand this parable, you'll understand it's a gateway to all the other parables, the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. But endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are one sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So when Jesus taught this parable, and the disciples asked him about it, and he gave them an understanding about why he taught him parables, and it's interesting what Jesus said, the reason that he taught parables. Often we're told Jesus taught parables to reveal things, to make them simple, that he used common agricultural illustrations to illustrate uh, the things of the kingdom of God. Well, that might be so, But also, Jesus taught parables to conceal the truth. That's the thing about a parable. It cuts both ways. It reveals the kingdom of God to those that are open to the kingdom and upon which the Holy Spirit is at work. But parables also actively conceal the truths of Scripture, that they may indeed see but not perceive, and indeed hear and not understand. I remember when I was at the University of Durham doing my theology degree and I got born again in the first term and uh, we were studying the New Testament in Greek and we were going through the parables in Greek and uh, one of the tutors that was teaching the parables in Greek to us wasn't a Christian and I thought it was a bit strange because this man was teaching us the parables, I was a new believer, I was I was doing the parables in Greek theology, and I was learning so much, I was like a sponge. And I used to have two Bibles at that time. I had my Greek Bible for theology, and I had my Good News Bible 
for just learning from the Lord. I thought, I'll get the simplest Bible I can and just stay simple with the Lord because I am a new believer. Not many new believers get, you know, new believers in their first term at theology. So I had a, a simple Bible and then I had my Greek Bible. And I was just hungry. And so I'd go to these lectures and he would speak about the Greek and he'd get into these parables and I would go away on fire. I'd go away thinking, this is amazing what I've learnt, and how can this man know so much? And then I remember thinking to myself, I don't understand this. How can he, who doesn't even know the Lord personally yet, be teaching me so many great things about the kingdom? How does that work? I couldn't understand it. And for a number of weeks, I thought, this is really strange. You don't know the Lord. Yet every time I go to your lecture, every time you do the Greek, I go away. And I'm on fire. I'm thinking, this is amazing. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke to me once and gave me insight into that. And as I was thinking, how come he knows all this stuff about the Word of God? And I don't, and I'm a Christian, and he's not. And it's like the Lord said to me, he said, well, what does he do with his knowledge that he imparts to you? What does he do with his knowledge? What does he do with all the things that he understands about the Greek and the theology? What does he do with it? And I thought, well, he doesn't do anything with it. And then it dawned on me that although this academic doctor of theology could teach the word, that word didn't mean anything to him. So he could teach me about the treasure in a field, but he had no revelation that he should pursue that tre treasure. He could teach me about the pearl of great price where somebody sold everything in order to get that pearl, but it meant nothing to him in practice didn't believe it. All these things he was teaching, he was teaching from the head, although it was impacting my heart. This is important because I've already said that this parable is the key to understanding all parables. Why? Because you'll understand a parable according to the condition of your heart. If, you're, if the conditions of your heart are not conducive to seed sowing, then we can talk about parables all the time. In fact, you could even teach on those parables like my lecturer did. But if your own heart is not conducive to receiving the word, it means nothing to you. And there I was, a new believer with a new soft heart, and the soil of my heart was fertile ground. I mean, I was just wanting seed. And there was his heart at that time. I don't know what, what he's like now. But there was his heart, stone. And so he could, he, could, he could speak the seed, but it wasn't resting in him. So in order to understand all the parables and the teaching of Jesus, we have to get this one right. Jesus said, hey, in verse 13, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand all these parables? And so in this parable, we have a number of important points. I know you know the parable well, but it's a parable that needs to be revisited again and again and again. Because it's the ABCs of Christian life. In this parable, we have two factors, really. We have the seed, and we have the ground of the soil. And then we have somebody who sows the seed, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But basically, the two elements of this parable are seed and soil. You find that the soil is changeable. In each one of these scenarios, the soil is different to the soil that's just been spoken about. They are different types of ground. But notice that the seed is the same. It's not good seed and bad seed. It's not high-grade seed and low-grade seed. You know, I've noticed you can go into garden centers and you can get more expensive seed, higher-grade seed. With a higher yield, you can get the cheap stuff, you know, 50p a packet or three pound a packet, you're thinking, I'm thinking, well, it's the same flour. But then I'm thinking, ah, but how many of these seeds will germinate compared to the cheap ones? And what sort of robust flowers will come out of these things? I'm thinking about that, the quality of the seed. But in this parable, we're not talking about different qualities of seed. The seed is the same. And the seed that we're talking about is the word. Jesus, when he explains this parable to his disciples says, the sower sows the word. The word of God is seed, seed. 
That means that God's word, scripture, is living and active. It's not just words on a page. It's not just great truths or great teaching or great advice. But scripture has power, latent power. You will find that within, within God's word is everything needed to bring about what it says it's going to do. Uh, God in the Old Testament says, you know, so shall my word be when it comes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish everything I have sent it to do before it returns. Every promise of God has within the very promise the ability to bring it to pass. Every promise is a seed, but it's a latent seed, a latent seed. Uh, I was reading in a magazine some time ago about the fact that they had discovered in Egypt an ancient underground storehouse. And some of them thought that it might have been at one of the storehouses that Joseph actually set up when he was storing up for those seven years of famine. They thought it might have been one of those. They'd rediscovered it. It had been hidden. And what they found was that some of the seed or the grain, I don't quite know what type of seed it was, but some of that seed that had been there hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, that some of that seed, when they planted it, not all of it, but some of it germinated. I thought, isn't that incredible? That a seed can be stored and can be kept somewhere secret all those hundreds of hundreds of years doing absolutely nothing. Why? Because the conditions aren't correct. But then when finally it's discovered this dry, seemingly dead seed is taken and it's put in soil of the right condition and hundreds and hundreds of years of nothing happening to that seed, all of a sudden things begin to take place on the inside of that seed. I remember doing uh, A-level biology and being fascinated with all of it, actually, but fascinated when we looked at seeds to see what is in a seed, to see the conditions that cause a seed to grow, the moisture, the, the and to see how a seed germinates is amazing. So this seed had been in this storeroom in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years, absolutely no use, absolutely not doing anything, latent. This is the same with the Word of God. You know, you can have a Bible, and that Bible can be around for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's a bag of seed. But unless that seed is, number one, sown, and number two, sown into the right environment, it's a waste of time. It's not benefiting anybody. And so God's Word is seed. God's Word, Hebrews says, chapter 4, God's word is living and active. But it's only living and active when it's sown in the correct soil. It's not living and active left by itself. And so the sower sows the word. What's this talking about? Well, the seed of God's word can be sown in many ways. But what Jesus is really speaking is first, uh, the, the thing he's really primarily speaking about in this parable is the preaching of God's word. We are a firm believer in Kensington Temple of the primacy of biblical preaching and teaching. Now, lots of churches today in the, in the modern times, uh, they don't have a focus or a belief in the power of preaching and teaching as we do. We are seen to be old-fashioned. Many churches don't talk about preaching. They have somebody who's going to share. Someone's going to share. Who's sharing today? Or who's giving the talk? Which person's giving the talk at church today? But we believe in the primacy of biblical preaching. Why? Because we believe that preaching is not giving a talk. Preaching is not just sharing a few information, even if it's correct. Preaching is not a pep talk for you to go on. Keep going, keep your chin up. Keep. Preaching is far, far more than these things. Because true preaching is sowing the word. The sower sows the word. 
And the greatest way to sow the word is through the active preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. Now, there's other words of, now we can talk, there's other words of sowing the sowing seed. You can read your Bible. You can share in cell groups. You can read a, a good Christian book that explains the Bible. All those things are wonderful and active, but the primacy of the pulpit, the primacy of the preacher, Jesus didn't go around giving talks. Jesus went around preaching, teaching, sowing the seed. This is why it's important to sit under preaching. I believe that proper preaching also carries with it the anointing of sowing. Now, fantastic, you can watch preaching on TV. It's not the same. Fantastic, you can even listen on iPads and things like that and watch on the internet. Fantastic, God can move through that. It's not the same. There is something unique about sitting under a live preaching anointing. Something unique. I'm not, amen. Well, you're, you're ahead of me. That's that, preaching to the choir, preaching to the converted. That's nice. Now, I'm not saying you can't get anything from other things. But what I'm saying is the active sitting under preaching has a tremendous capacity to sow a seed into your life. And there's nothing like it, nothing like it. Nothing can, 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 can compete with it. And so Jesus sowed the seed, and the apostles sowed the seed. The seed was sown. It was taken by somebody, and it was sown. But this sower was sowing indiscriminately. I mean, he, the old sower, there he is behind me, the old sower just used to take a bag of seed and just throw it out. It wasn't, it wasn't like in somewhat like an English country garden where you take the little seed and then you put the little thing in the soil and you put it in and like that. One seed all in a lovely row because it's going to look nice in the summer. Now we're talking about the sower sowing the seed where he's got great handfuls. He's just throwing out the seed. If he doesn't throw out the seed, the seed won't hit the soil. That's why the majority of people in London aren't saved. Do you know that? Do you know why? Do you know why London is not saved? Do you know why? The main reason that London is not saved is because there's no seed. There's no seed being scattered. That's the main reason. There's no seed. The devil's main activity is to stop the sowing of the seed. I mean, the millions of people in London couldn't care less what's happening in this building tonight. They couldn't care less. They don't even know what's happening in this building tonight. They don't know what's happening in this building. They're not, they're, not be, they're not having the seed that's coming from this pulpit, touching them. They are not interested. They haven't had the seed. But if we, 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 what we need to do in these coming days, we've got to get the seed out. We need more sowers. There's so few sowers. There's plenty of Christians with lovely little bags of seed, but guess what? They're all in the garage. They're all in the cupboard, our seed. We've got to start getting that seed out and begin scattering it. And so the seed, that's what's going to change your life. Peter talks about it. James talks about it. The incorruptible seed of God's word that's placed in the right environment of a heart, which I'll come to, causes one to be born again. You are born again of God's seed. James speaks about this. He speaks about the seed of wickedness, but he also speaks about the seed of God, that we should be a first fruits of his creatures and that God has put in the ingrafted word or the seed which is able to work through our lives and which is able to cause sanctification and godliness to come into our lives. Therefore, verse 21 of James 1, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word or seed which is able to save your souls. He's talking about somebody who's received the seed, but it's preventing that seed from properly germinating. We're going to look at that in a minute. 
So the sower must sow the word. We need an increase in sower. We need an increase in scattering this word indiscriminately wherever we can. But then Jesus begins to speak about the different ground upon which it is sown. And the first ground he speaks about is the path. And he says, these are the ones along the path. As he sowed some seed along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so this is a picture of a, of a heart that is not properly prepared to receive the word. In our evangelism, we need to pray over the hearts of those that we're witnessing to. Because fine, you can share a word, but if that heart is like a stony pavement, then what's going to happen is the seed or the word will not penetrate into that heart. One of the greatest prayer lines that you have if you want someone to come to the Lord is yes, you've got to get the seed out, but you've also got to pray for the Holy Spirit to do a work in the heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's greatest work is in the hearts of men and women. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the arena that the Holy Spirit acts in. That's what the Holy Spirit has come. He does work in hearts. Everything else is a bonus. Falling on the floor, goosebumps, healings, gifts of the Spirit. Fantastic, wonderful. The greatest work that the Holy Spirit does is in the human heart. The greatest work that God is wanting to do in your life is in the human heart, the garden of your heart. And so when we pray, when we pray over people, pray for their hearts. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Pray for situations to begin to plow up the heart. And this is what you need to do with the field. You plow. Every year there's a time of plowing. There's a season of plowing before the season of sowing. If the farmer just sows the seed and there's been no plowing, the soil is not in the right environment to receive the seed. So we need to pray that God will come on hearts of men and women and children, millions of them in London, and begin to do the preparing work in their heart. If you look back on your life and how you came to Christ, you will find times of preparation. Times of preparation. The, the, the Holy Spirit prepares us for the moment of salvation. Now, I'm not speaking like the old Puritans did about the law. The old Puritans used to speak about the law as the law must be preached in order to prepare a heart. I'm not speaking about the law as a preparatory work in the believer's heart. On the contrary, I am speaking about the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You know, I think about the fact, I told you that I officially came to the Lord in my first term at university. That's when I gave my life to the Lord. But I tell you what, I can trace back into the early years of boyhood, the Holy Spirit doing things in my life. I can look back on my life. I can look back in my young boyhood, and there were seasons of operations of the Spirit in my life, encounters situations, God was doing something. I, I wasn't even officially born again. I, and before I turned away from the Lord, well, I wasn't, well, I don't know, it's all a jumble, but God knew I was going to be saved. This is the point. He knows you're going to be saved. And so it's just one big thing for him. But before I officially gave my life to the Lord, I can look and see preparing work. And then when I finally gave my life to the Lord, there was a great work of Holy Spirit going on in my life preparing me for that moment when I would receive the word of God that would cause me to be thoroughly, thoroughly saved. And so this stony ground or this hard ground where the word just bounces. Now this is the state of Great Britain today. The Great Britain today is a path, is a pavement to the word of God. It's astonishing how God's seed can just bounce off people. Bounce off the media. Bounce off politicians. Just bounce off. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't influence. It's just lying there on stony ground. 
We need to pray. We need to say, Lord, bring your Holy Ghost plowing machine. and Plow up. I think it's, um, is it Haggai that speaks about plowing up your fallow ground so that the Holy Spirit can come and rain on you? Before the rain, there's got to be a plowing. Let me just take this to your Christian life today. If you want to move of God, if you want to go to the next level with God, then you need a bit of plowing, a bit of plowing, a bit of digging in that ground of your heart. You say, well, I think of seasons when there was digging in the soil of my heart. Yeah, but how long was that again? Every spring. You want a springtime in your life? Is that what you want? Would you like a new season of spring in your life? Would you like to come out of your personal winter into a spring? Would you like fresh words of God to be sown in your life that will bear fruit in summer harvest? If you, if you find yourself in a winter period in your life, if you look at your Christian life and you don't see change or harvest or you don't see growth, then the chances are maybe what needs to take place is God to take the plow of his word by the power of his Holy Spirit and begin to dig things up. Sometimes God plows up your heart by circumstance. How many knows that? You're going along, everything's okay, you're not interested in the Lord, or, or you're just going week by week, nothing's happening, and God says new seed needs to come into your life. New germination, a new crop, a new harvest. So what does he do? Because we are unwilling to uh, um, plough our own hearts, God sends his ploughing machine called circumstance, called test, called trial. And something comes along and you go, oh my God, what's this and what's happening? God is digging up your garden. God is plowing the ground for a purpose. I'm beginning to learn it's better to plow up your own ground than have the Holy Ghost come along with a trial to plow it up for you. It's a lesson hard to be learned, actually. Especially if you haven't had a trial in, the, in, in a while. You think, well, I've missed it. Nobody misses the plow of God. It's going to come. But I tell you what, if you plow up the heart, I mean, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, do you know what? Lord, lead me so that uh, I, I don't want to be like a donkey. I want to be like a thoroughbred. I, ho, ho, Lord, I'm not, I say, Lord, please do an internal work because I don't want an external one. Help me, teach me, be paid. Lord, do something on the inside of me so that we can work it out on the inside. Please, I've had enough of outside trials come along because I'm not open for an inside move. Because if, he, if you don't cooperate with him on the inside, he will certainly send things your way on the outside to bring you to a place of cooperation. How many people have been there again and again and again in their lives? So, God, it may be that the season in your life is that you got a bit hard. Maybe, you see, let me put it like this. Let me ask you this question. How is the garden of your heart how is the garden of your heart? Because here we're looking at soil, aren't we? Soil, this soil, that soil, seed, a harvest. It's a garden. It's a garden, a field, but a garden. The garden of your heart. Colin was saying, a senior minister Colin was talking about the ministry earlier on, I think it was this week, to some, some of us. And he was saying, look, church, the ministry says it's like a garden. You have to keep gardening. If you just leave it to its own devices, then it'll get wild. Weeds will just come. It'll get overgrown. You have to tend the garden of God's ministry. You have to keep tending it because it, if you don't, it has a natural inclination to grow wild. It's just like anybody's garden, isn't it? Um, wherever you see a beautiful tended garden, if you go to some of these lovely um, national... Uh, what? National Trust, thank you. National Trust houses. And you go into these amazing houses and you see their gardens. And they're amazing. And you think, well, how did that happen? There is a big workforce that are constantly gardening and shaping and weeding and planting. And, and you're enjoying the garden, but there's a lot of hard work that's gone into that. Well, when was the last time you went gardening in your heart with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been to someone's back garden? I found this, especially with students. No offense, students. If students rent accommodation 
and they have a garden in the back. back. You can always tell if the students are, are renting the house. Why? Because the garden's a mess. The garden's a mess. Why? Because they're, they're, not, they're students. They've got better things to do than garden. It's a mess. Every time they come out, it's for a barbecue. And they, they sort of just get themselves a little bit of it. Anyway, and then they're back in the house, aren't they? So, but when was the last time you t- took a walk through the garden of your heart with the prime garden of the Holy Spirit and had a look to see the state of your life, the state of your soil. And it could be that in some areas of your heart, things are going well. You could have an area of the garden that's lovely and another area of the garden that's unruly and and that isn't properly plowed or or hasn't properly been tended. Or you could have an area of your garden with beautiful seed in producing beautiful things but another area that's barren because you've not tended it. You've not put seed in it. And sometimes you can have somebody and, and they have their pet doctrines. You know what I mean? It's like somebody who's like totally into prosperity. All they do is read books on prosperity. All they do is talk about prosperity. All they do is talk about sowing and reaping. And that's a Bible truth. But that's all they talk about. That's all they want to talk about. So you go into the garden of their heart and you go to the prosperity section and it is bearing fruit after fruit after fruit. But you go into the area of, say, prayer and there's nothing there. Why? Because they're only focusing on one of God's seed. I've said that that God's seed has everything within it You say, oh, how can I do it, Lord? How can it come to pass, Lord? How can your promises manifest and bear fruit in my life? It's all in the seed. And when it comes into a place where it can germinate, that's when the seed begins to bring life. That's when it's there, the the conditions. And so there's the hard-heartedness. I don't want to go into detail. I'm just doing broad brush strokes here. But hard-heartedness or deafness is what God often speaks in the Old and New Testament. He's always talking about hard hearts. If you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 3, there's a whole chapter on hardness of heart, where the warning comes to the church that Hebrews is written to, and it says, don't be like those in the wilderness, your forefathers, who hardened their hearts in the day of trial. Again and again it says, hardened their hearts, hardened their hearts, didn't listen to what the Spirit was saying. And then you hear that word. The Spirit says, today if you hear my my voice. And so the hardening of a heart is a deafness to God's word and God's seed and what God's trying to do in in your life. Now I've had a blocked ear for two weeks and it got even more blocked this week and I'm putting drops in to make it unblocked and it's just blocking it up more. And, you know, I'm going around, people are talking to me, and they think I'm being rude, because I'm not, if they're on this side, I can't, I can't hear them. Can't hear what they're saying. I don't know what, I, somebody said at the end of the service, one of the sound guys, how was the sound for you? I said, I don't know. I can only hear it in this ear, because I can't hear anything out, out of this ear. But it's made me think, you know, to be hard of hearing. I remember my mother, for years, was hard of hearing. And actually, it was annoying, you know. Should have been companion. It was annoying, it was like, you'd say something... And she wouldn't hear you and have to say it again and say it again. And sometimes you think, if you don't realize, you think she's putting it on. You know, all these terrible things, I know. But there, there you go. But then she got some hearing aid, and then she's telling you to, oh, you're so noisy, Bruce. You're not, you don't have to shout. Well, I've been shouting for the last five years, Mum. That's the thing, isn't it? Should have got that hearing five. You don't have to shout. And, and she, said, she said this, when they put in these new hearing aids in her ears, the, the person who put it in said, now, be careful with this because everything is just going to sound so loud it would be hard for you to discriminate between different things. And so she put these things in and everything sounded loud. You know, the ticking of a watch sounded like a banging of a drum because she'd had such deafness. Well, think about that spiritually because hardness of heart is spiritual deafness. You're just not hearing. You see, how do you receive the seed of God's word? You receive it by hearing, don't you? How does faith come, Romans says? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of God. So the sower sows the seed, primarily by preaching, by reading or whatever, but primarily by preaching. The sower sows the seed, how do you receive the word? You receive it by hearing. 
And if you've got a block deer like me today, or two block deers, you're not going to get much. You're not going to get much. I could be preaching. And sometimes, you see, Jesus said, didn't he? He said here in this, in this very parable, he said, verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, we've all got ears to hear. No, he was speaking about spiritual hearing. You see, it could be tonight that as I preach God's word, some of you are hearing with your physical ear, but it could be that your spiritual ears are blocked. You might be sitting there thinking, not interested in this at all, don't want to hear, it's not penetrating, it might, it might not be, be, be penetrating at all. I'm going to sneeze in a minute. And he who's got ears to hear, check your hearing. Check, don't assume that you're hearing God. Don't assume it. Don't assume it could be hard. The next thing, he says, and these are the ones. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root and it withered away. And when he explains that to the disciples, he says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That is 95% of Western Christians today, described right there in the parable. 95% of Western Christians today are in that scenario. They go to conferences, they go to services, they watch Christian TV, they read the latest book, and when they hear it, they say, praise God. They, they like the doctrine, they like the truth, they like the insight. They like, oh, I've never seen that before. They like all these things, and they hear it with, with joy, but they don't allow the seed to put down roots. They don't let God's word, they don't meditate on that word. They don't let that word work itself through their hearts. It just lies there on the surface. There's a bit of warmth there. There's an initial reception, an initial excitement about it. Maybe it's the flavor doctrine of the month. You know, the church goes in doctrine cycles. I don't know what the new craze is. I must get back on Christian TV, find out what the new craze was. I remember it was money cometh and all these things. The new craze, the new doctrine. I remember when it was spiritual warfare in the 90s. Everybody was binding everything. Going down Piccadilly and binding that statue of Eros. And then finding out later it's not a statue of Eros at all. It, it, it's actually there for the Shaftesbury Society. And it's actually an, an angel of mercy. And we're all binding it as Eros. You know what I mean? Spiritual mapping, territorial spirits in the bathroom and in the kitchen... And all this nonsense. And uh, I was caught up in that. And then the next thing, then the next thing, then the next thing. And we receive it as the new word and we get all excited about it. But even if there is a truth in it, which there normally is a kernel of truth in these things, we don't let it settle. We're ready for the next thing. And then when, when, when it says, when persecution arises on account of the word, listen to me. When that word, that seed goes into your heart, it's going to be tested. All God's promises are going to be tested in your life. All of them. It's part of the process. Read the book of James. I'm halfway through my book on James. I've finished it by December. And the whole thing about James is, this is the point. When God gives you a promise, there's going to be a time of testing. That's why it's a promise. So when you receive a seed of God's promise for your life or for the future, you've got to let it grow deep. Because you're going to have to fight with those promises one day. Timothy was told to fight with the prophecies or the seeds that were given. Prophecies is just anointed seed. Prophecy is just personalized seed by the Holy Spirit. Fight with the prophecies that were given to you. In other words, let that seed get deep within you. Meditate on that seed. 
Let that seed become part of you, become part of your nature, so that when the time comes, when that testing comes, or when it's time to deal with that mountain, that seed is deep within you. And I've learned that you've got to get the words that God gives you deep within you. I spoke last week on the Holy Spirit getting into the sail of our faith and taking us this way and the, and the other and the moving of the Spirit. But I also said that God's prophetic word also gives energy into the sails of our faith. God's word, planted, germinated, also gives us direction. Man does not live by bread alone, but upon every, every word that is proceeding, is being sown out of the very mouth of God. God is sowing seed in your life. Constantly seed is coming your way. And there is seed that God is germinating. He is coated. And you know the germinated seed because it lives within you. Something preached, something read, something heard, something studied. And all of a sudden, the seed becomes life to you, becomes rhema to you. God's on it. It's coated by the Holy Spirit. What's happened is begun to germinate. It's gone within you. You see, we're not all stony-hearted. But, but I'm talking about 95% of the church that, that receives the word, receives the prophetic word, receives a word from God, a scripture from God, a prophecy from God, gets it, is given to them, it germinates, they feel God all over it. That's a word from God. They stick it in their prophetic book. I hope you have a prophetic book. I have a book of promises. Promises that have come from me from preaching, people preaching, from the Bible itself, from prayer, from all manner of things. And I've got them in my book. It's my book of germinated seed. It's in my book. That prophecy book is like my garden. And those words, some of them are just germinated. You know, like when the shoot just appears, you sow the seed and the shoot just appears and you look at it, you start to get a little bit worried because you don't want those birds picking at it. Just a little shoot. You know what it could become, but it's, it, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's in a very precarious position, that little shoot. You know, anybody can come along and just pull it up. And so these things come in, some of those promises in my book, some of the words of God, they're like little shoots. I need to protect those things. I need to protect those things. Other things, I've got words of God. I've got scriptures and revelations and truths that are so deeply rooted in me, I don't think they'll ever come out. You hear what I'm saying? You're the same. You have to walk through the garden of your heart and find out what truths of God are like planted. I mean, in my garden, I've got this huge big oak tree, been there for hundreds of years. And so I'm looking at this little seed that's just showing its first green shoot. Then I'm looking at this great oak tree that nobody could uproot because the roots, hundreds of years, are so deep. We can get into scenarios with God where God's seed has got such deep roots within our lives. We're like a tree planted by the waterside. We shall not be moved. That's talking about a seed that has matured in our life. And some of you, now we know we need to get this stuff deep. Because if you've just got a seed that's germinated and you don't look after it, you don't garden it, then when the time comes for the seed to bear fruit, for the testing comes, it just gets uprooted. That's what it says. They receive it with joy. It's received, it's germinated. But there's no root. And when it's time for fruit, it doesn't come. And it's immediately. Look at these words immediately. One of the things you notice in the Gospel of Mark is how often he uses the Greek word for immediately. Immediately, immediately Jesus went. And immediately the Spirit took Jesus into the wilderness. Immediately. Imme There's an immediacy to the Gospel of Mark. And it's not by accident. And here we find in verse 24, Satan comes and immediately takes the word that's on the hard ground. And then the rocky ground, they immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root, and immediately they fall away at the end of verse 7. It's an immediate thing. See, this is the thing. When it's time to step up to the plate, when it's your turn to bat, when it's game on, 
You've got to have that seed rooted deep within you. Because if it's not, then immediately you will be, find yourself wanting. Immediately, 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 immediately. We have to get ready for the immediacy of the moments that are coming. There are moments of immediacy that God has planned for us. Life-changing events. Your life can be changed by a conversation. Your life can be changed by an encounter. Your life can be changed by a moment. Your life revolves around moments of immediacy. God wants to put roots of... God wants to prepare us for those moments. Those key turning points in our lives. And the way to do it is by taking the germinated seed, that which God is highlighting, that which God is doing, and to allow it to go deep within you. To water that seed with prayer. To meditate on it. To believe God. To take it back so its roots can be deep so that nothing can uproot it. Others are the ones sown amongst the thorns. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And then Jesus says, others were sown among the thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. I don't need to say much about this. I think it's obvious. It's obvious in our lives today how much there is out there that wants to choke the word. Now, I like watching TV, but TV can choke the word. Television can choke the word. I like computers, but computers can choke the word. I like Facebook. I'm even on it. But Facebook can choke the word. Many things can choke the word. The cares of this life, riches, entertainment, all these things can choke the word. Those things are not necessarily wrong in themselves. But, you know, there's so much. We are bombarded moment by moment. I mean, people can't even sit in the service without texting someone. <laughs> Waves of Holy Ghost conviction. I had to ban staff members, certain staff members. I had to ban them. I said, I said what are you doing with your phone? I'm, I'm, I've got the Bible. on." And I said, no, you're not. Because I've seen over your shoulder and I saw you were texting. It's like, you know, can't even do it. Now, it's all right if you've got your phone and your Bible on. The Lord sees. He knows who you're texting. But what I'm trying to say is everything is flying at us. Everything, constantly, always. Those things aren't wrong in themselves. But sometimes, my friend, you've got to get alone with God. How are you going to get some time for this word to get in you if these things are choking it? Well, we want time for ministry, so I'm just going to back off and I'm going to finish on this. I encourage you to take a walk in the garden of your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit in these couple of minutes, right now, walk, walk, if I was to walk into, in your garden, if we were to walk together in your garden, if Jesus was to take you for a walk in, your, in the garden of your heart, what would he see there right now? Would it be full of fruit-bearing trees? Would it be overgrown and untreated and uncared for spiritually? Would there be great thorns and thistles? Would there be things choking the word? Every time you get a word, the anxieties and cares of this world, kill it. Choke it. Every time God tries to do something in your life, something rises, and then the care, worries, anxiety of this world just throttle, kill what God's doing. You can never get that breakthrough. Could it be that your garden is hard as rock in places, and the hardness has come through the pains and hurts of life, or the betrayals, you feel let down by God, or whatever, 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 has hardened, and the, and the word is just bouncing off. Does there need to be some digging, some plowing? Or does there just need to be some plain sowing, some seeds 
to allow the seed to rest in your heart. And what seed is the certain seed that you need to plow, plow in your life? What areas of your life are you struggling in? And do you have a corresponding seed plan? You say, I'm struggling with my finances. Do you have a corresponding seed plan? I'm suffering, suffering with my health. I understand that. But do you have a seed plan? Or are you taking the seed of healing, taking it to the Lord and asking him to cause it to germinate in your life? Or do you have conflict in your garden? Conflict with other people? Do you have a seed plan for conflict? Are you sowing kindness? Are you sowing love? Are you yielding? Are you sowing? The, the fruit of the Spirit comes from the seed of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, faithfulness, these things. It's a fruit, so there's got to be a seed. You can't have fruit without seed. And within fruit, there is seed. So what are you sowing in order to get the fruit? Take a walk around your garden right now. Let the Holy Spirit take a good look. Because those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and put it to work like the man who built a foundation for a house on the rock. Don't just be hearers of the word, be gardeners of the word. Cherish the seed in your life. And one day that seed, seed will bear fruit and it will bear fruit in season. There are seeds in your life that God has put that right now you can't quite see the purpose of. But they're there, they're growing, and in season they will bear fruit exactly at the right moment. God knows what he's doing. He's a great gardener. God himself works on the principles of seed, time, and harvest. There is a time for winter. There is a time for spring. There is a time for summer. There's a time for autumn. There is a gardening plan in your life. There's a time to sow some seeds and not others. There's a gardening plan. And God wants to share with you. God doesn't want you to be unaware, number one, of the state of the soil, the state of your garden. And he doesn't want you to be unaware of how he is gardening with you, where the seeds are, where the plants are. This is your heart. It is soil. It is garden. It is the place where the kingdom of God comes forth. Where is the kingdom of God, they ask Jesus. It's within you. It's within your heart. Let's just stand to the Lord right now. We're going to move into a time of ministry as the Lord leads us, whether it's healing or prophecy or whatever. And we're just going to ask the Lord to do things in our midst in Jesus' name.